Hi, everybody. <laughs> I can't resist the underwater thing. <laughs> I try to be color coordinated, you know? <clears throat> I get the backdrop, and then I get the, the shirt to match and everything. So I, I like this screen. I'm, a, I'm a, water, a water child at heart. So here I am. Um, so yeah, number 25. Holy moly. <clears throat> Amazing. We've done quite a few of these. So the usual... Uh, one minute of kind of introduction, housekeeping type things. Um, this session today is going to be limited to an hour um, because I'm, I actually am doing the introductory free talk at four o'clock today. I think Andy's going to post the link um, with my friend, uh, Professor Thurman, Bob Thurman. If you don't know him, he's amazing, <laughs> truly inimitable. Nobody quite like him probably most famous because of his daughter, Uma Thurman, right? Um, he's a, a professor emeritus from Columbia, amazing uh, force. And I, I had the great luxury of work, working with him back in May. And so we're doing um, the second in our Bardo series starting not this weekend, but next weekend. But uh, there's a free talk around that that Bob and I are doing actually today, um, three hours from now. So at four o'clock mountain time, and the link will be up there if you want to just join us. So I, I have to cut this thing sharply at an hour today um, to do a couple of things before I come back for this thing with Bob. So come join us at, at four o'clock. If you've, if you've never experienced Professor Thurman, um, he's amazing. Love the guy. Uh, for those of you who are nightclub members, this Sunday we have a questionnaire set, I think for two o'clock. Um, we also have some I think pretty cool interviews that we've posted and some that are coming up. So Daniel Love, we just posted his thing. I really enjoyed my riff with him. He was just so direct about the challenges of lucidity and um, just terrific tips on induction and working with obstacles. Um, also, <clears throat> excuse me, I haven't posted it yet, but I did my first interview with this really lovely Islamic scholar mystic, Yusuf, Yusuf Al-Hur, in fact, the conversation was so foundationally rich that um, we had thought we would be talking about a lot of these dream yoga type things, but he ended up giving such an amazing kind of riff on the um, essence of uh, Islam Sufism and uh, mystical um, Islam altogether that I just let him run with it. And so uh, I'm going to post that uh, probably next week, and then Yusuf is going to come back to talk specifically about all the things that I had like zero idea about, um, aspects of the teachings from the Prophet Muhammad about working with dreams from a, a, a Islamic perspective. It was like totally eye-opening to me. Um, my friend Dustin Naparna, I'm interviewing him next week. He's a, a integral scholar, really sharp guy from uh, Harvard, and uh, um, author of a, quite a number of, of I think really helpful books on integral theory. Um, so Dustin and I are going to be on. And then um, I really quite recently put in contact with uh, Dr. Francis. He's a priest, PhD, uh, Francis Tiso, who's, he's an amazing guy. I read his book, uh, Rainbow Body and Resurrection, maybe some four years ago, and it just absolutely blew me out of the water. Um, this really incredible tour de force scholarship on what's called rainbow body, um, which is a very esoteric uh, 
phenomena actually in Tibetan Buddhism that he connects to the resurrection of Christ. It, it's amazing. And he, his scholarship is unlike anything I've ever read. And he knows more about Tibetan Buddhism as a Catholic priest than most Buddhists I know. Amazing individual. So I'm super excited about um, getting him online as well. And then lastly, for those of you who were there, we started our book group uh, this Tuesday. We had a really great group with some just terrific questions. Those of you who were there was like, whoa, I mean, these, this is a terrific, sharp group. So you can still join that. That's going to be archived. Um, and there's still obviously an opportunity to join that. So my little riff today is going to be quite short because I, you know, for those of you who may be new to what we do here, I really love these social gatherings because I don't have to prepare anything. <laughs> I just have to decide. My only preparation is like, what shirt am I going to wear to match my background? <clears throat> so this is a, a more playful opportunity for us to just get together and hang. And so I usually do have one or two words to share. I just want to share one very brief kind of um, meditation that I think I might have alluded to this earlier somewhere in these 24 other <laughs> events we've shared. But this one I came to, to my mind when the the Kavanaugh hearings <clears throat> came about, or what was that, like a year ago or so? And it looks like we're going to be going through that again. And so what I discovered that, that is worth playing with is what I now um, call my mute meditation. And so <laughs> what, what I did was I, I wanted to stay in tune. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Perfect time for a one breath meditation, one sip meditation. Um, as I was watching the, the histrionics around <clears throat> the, the Kavanaugh hearings, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, I, I just, for, for some reason, I don't know why, it just, it occurred to me to just reach over, you know, when he's doing his whatever theatrical display thing, I just reached over and, and, you know, I was getting like all riled up and like ready to throw my shoe at the TV screen. And instead, I reached over and grabbed my control panel and, and just hit the mute button. And it, it was pretty interesting because here was this display that was just totally sucking me in, getting me all wigged out. And I reached over and I just muted it. And it changed it like instantly, completely. In fact, what was such a drama and actually tragedy, in my, in my opinion, became just comical. You know, here he is, you know, it's just, you know, without the sound, it was, it, the whole thing was almost like a pantomime. It was just like, really? And so then I started doing that with a little bit more regularity that, that when I, whenever I was listening to something that really kind of got my goat, um, I kind of hang with it. I'd feel all these contractions and stuff coming on and all my reactivities. And then I just mute it. And so then I said, well, you know, this is exactly what I, I can actually can do with my own mind, with a display of my own mind. In other words, when you're involved in meditation, you don't want to stop the play of your mind. There, there's never in any meditation instruction that I've ever been given, you know, stop your thoughts, stop the, the play of your mind. No, no, don't do that. First of all, you can't. I mean, maybe temporarily you can muscle your mind into some kind of contracted, con con concentrated space. That's not what you're doing with meditation. You're not trying to stop the display. You're trying to alter your relationship to that display. 
And so I took this little thing I was doing with my mute button and said, hey, I can just do this with my mind. I can just mute my mind. And by muting my mind, it really doesn't mean stopping it. It just means um, not paying attention to that. Uh, like Nisargadha, I love this guy's name, this, this great Indian Siddha who wrote this phenomenal book called I Am That. Um, and I love his name. It's like a mantra, Sri Nisargadatta Maharaj. I'm sure many of you know of him. But he said something in this book that's amazing where he said, it is disinterestedness that liberates. It is disinterestedness that liberates. And what he is referring to here is disinterestedness at this level, not disinterestedness as it can easily slip into apathy and naive acquiescence and all these spiritual pathologies. But basically just, you don't have to pay attention or listen to whatever arises. And so uh, I found this to be a reasonable kind of analogy and then even approach to work with my own mind. It's still there, whatever the dramas, the tragedies, the histrionics of my own mind, still there. But I kind of hit this internal mute button where I just don't listen to that display. It's still there. Again, I'm not changing it. I'm just not listening to it. Um, and so you can try that theme both in your meditation and then, you know, with all the heated, uh, it'll be really interesting to do with the debates, right? I, I got my, I got my mute button like ready for the debates coming up. You know, when things get really kind of cooked up and you know yourself getting sucked in, you're, 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 you're going non-lucid, actually. That's non-lucidity. You're, you're about to get sucked in and, and kind of lost in the display. You can mute, just mute it. And, uh, you know, tying it into that principle, that's a little bit about what happens when we have lucid dreams. You know, we mute the display in a certain sense. We step back, display's still there, but we're not getting sucked into it. So I just wanted to toss that out as, as a comment for a little bit of what I've been doing these days, especially since this stuff is really kind of coming back to the fore. But as we usually do for the remaining um, 45 minutes or so that we have, because I, I, I absolutely positively have to do a hard stop at two o'clock, but then just come back. Come back and join me and Bob, totally free. You'll love this guy. If you've never experienced him, he is, they, they definitely broke the mold when Bob came out. I love him. Um, come back and join us at four o'clock. But between now and then, as we usually do, this is, this is kind of your time to make offerings, ask questions and the like. So um, feel free. All right, great. Well, we have some hands, hands raised to start. So first with the audio will be Prem. Hi, thank you, Andy Kay. And hi, Andrew. Hi, Prem. Nice to see you. Nice to see you. Um, okay, so as you were talking about meditation, I was remembering something that you have said a number of times, and that's been really helpful to me in my meditation, when you say, mix your mind with space. Uh-huh. Okay. Now, I was reading Marcia Schmidt. You know, she's the... Marcia. Marcia. Oh. The, one who, the one who works for um, Rangjong Yeche Translation Schmidt. <laughs> Exactly. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So she wrote something about Milarepa's famous phrase, okay, that says the gap between two thoughts, that in the gap between two thoughts, there's a possibility to recognize Rigpa, end quote. 
And I'm wondering, does that relate to what you're saying when you point, you know, when you make that no, like mix your mind with space. But then she goes on to say, many people just focus on a gap and think that's Rigpa, but they forget there's awakeness, awareness. And that's what we contrast with the dullness. That's right. I'm kind of getting a little confused because then also Mingyur Rinpoche says, to cultivate recognition of natural mind, one can hold the gap between first and second thought. But if you wait for the gap, that's a mistake because you don't have to wait for a natural mind because of course, Rigpa is always present. But I'm confused now the difference between sort of objectless shamatha and Rigpa, sort of shamatha and Dzogchen meditation. Any light (laughs) would be great, thank you. Yeah, thanks dear, good questions as usual. So yeah, a number of things come to mind. One is, you know, the the objectless shamatha, non-referential shamatha, open awareness, shamatha without a sign, all these terms for the same thing not the same as nature of mind, not the same as Rigpa. So um, there, when you're resting in Rigpa, the nature of mind, um, and that degenerates. So let me just talk about that first, then I'll talk about the gap. When you're resting truly in Rigpa, um, and then eventually that Samadhi um, dissolves, because it will dissolve unless you're a Buddha. Only the Buddha has this utter constancy of Rigpa. So when it usually dissolves, what it dissolves into is, in fact, open awareness. It, it, this kind of non-referential practice is therefore a segue into Rigpa and also what Rigpa degenerates into. It's not quite the same. They're, uh, they're similar, but not the same. And so also when you're talking about the, the caveat that the Marcia puts out there is an important one if I kept track of all the quotes you were throwing my way, that the gap in and of itself is not necessarily Rigpa. It has to be recognized. So in other words, you can sometimes feel like you're meditating on Rigpa when you're just meditating on space. And um, this is where it gets really subtle. And this is where you need instructions um, and feedback and guidance from, from someone because you can end up really lost in very subtle states of mind that if those are cultivated and nurtured in the Buddhist tradition, you're basically paving your way for rebirth into what are called the God realms. They're extremely subtle, delicious states of mind that many people just misconstrue for the enlightened state. Um, It's not. And so making these subtle distinctions is actually a big deal. So the other thing that comes to mind is this notion of the gap between thoughts and um, that being, again, equivalent or synonymous with Rigpa. Well, yes and no. I mean, the fundamental thing is that, that there is nothing but Rigpa. It's just easier at first to recognize it in the gap. Um, because usually what happens is when that gap is filled with form, we go non-lucid in that form. We get seduced into that form and we lose the recognition. We, in other words, um, I think it was Trolig Rinpoche that used this phrase, we lose the essence, which is Rigpa, and the display, which is some level of form. And so the really two things really important here, Rigpa is the only thing there is. Ma Rigpa is just not recognizing Rigpa fully, right? So this is super important. Otherwise, what happens is that just like 
Linga Rinpoche, again, if I'm tracking all the quotes in order, says, don't wait for the gap. You don't have to wait for the gap. What you're looking for is already here. It's just initially a little bit easier to find it in that gap because you're not lost on the display. But fundamentally, you want to be able to stabilize that recognition um, so that you recognize it even when thoughts arise, even when forms arise, um, because otherwise your, your meditation is incomplete. You know, you've had some glimpse, but there's no stability in form. And so then what happens is you lose your recognition in so-called post-meditation. And so post-meditation here, <clears throat> excuse me, has a very specific meaning. It's not just post-meditation as we know it in terms of like leaving the cushion. Post-meditation here means basically leaving that state of samadhi. So uh, Prem, I'm, you know, because you just paint on so many really deep topics here, I'm finger brushing, finger painting some answers. If there's something else you want to ask to kind of follow up, I'm happy yeah. to entertain it a little bit. But it, it's, it's great. Fab, that, that's so helpful, Andrew. Um, I guess just to clarify, mm -hmm. so when you're giving that instruction of mix your mind with space, mm -hmm. what are you? What are you pointing us to? Yeah, that's again, beautiful. So um, on one level, I'm, I'm pointing to, because it's just more accessible to this fundamental non-referential open awareness state, um, which is extremely powerful. You know, just literally opening one's heart, opening one's mind, you know, kind of allowing one's awareness to dissolve into space. So because I'm not, at least in the context of, of what I've taught so far, when I when I present pure nature of mind things, I I don't do that online. Um, I intimate it, but I think the only way you can really work with this stuff is in person. Um, and so, even though you know there are intimations around it, I'm circumambulating it, and you can absolutely slide into nature of mind stuff. I'm not really doing that. Um, there's there's a number of reasons for it. So. When I talk about mixing mind with space, I'm talking about the practice of open awareness. Oh, okay. uh, again, it has about four or five different names. Um, but again, it, well, once that matures, you know, as they say in the Dzogchen tradition, they, they talk about literally space awareness, literally space hyphen awareness. And this type of awareness, again, this, this stuff is so subtle. When they're talking about awareness here at this level, this is, this is the same word. Again, awareness is, a, again, another one of these multivalent terms. We, we know it colloquially, like right now you're aware of me talking. Well, technically speaking, this is more consciousness than awareness. And again, I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole, but I do want to say some of these things because we're talking about extremely nuanced, subtle dimensions of mind, where in fact, th these terms, this nomenclature does become important. Because otherwise people can get really confused. You know? So when we're talking about awareness, they go, oh, oh that, that awareness. No, when we're talking about awareness at this level, um, capital A, again, this is Rigpa. This is synonymous with nature of mind, emptiness, non-duality. It transcends but includes what we know as traditional awareness, small a. So maybe I'll, I'll, maybe I'll let it go for now, Prem, because as you know, there's just so much to unpack here, but really beautiful questions on your part and I and, uh, always love hearing from you, so thanks. Thank, thank you so much, Andrew, so helpful. See you. See you. Thanks, All right, and next with the audio will be Glenn. Hi, thank you, Andy, and hi, Andrew. I have a, uh, Andrew, I have a question related to your background, <laughs> but it's actually an off the wall question. 
Um, yeah, yeah, my, my, my educational background or my green screen background? Yeah, yes. Uh, who knows? Maybe they're the same. I, don't, uh, right. so I got obsessed with this documentary called My Octopus Teacher. From, oh, uh, yeah, from, it's on Netflix. And it's about a guy who is an, a natural photographer who befriends an octopus for about 300 days. And then I got interested in that guy. And he has done a series of movies, largely based in Africa, on animal communicators. And uh, one of them called The Animal Communicator, he interviews uh, several people who, uh, who uh, communicate with animals, at least oh. in the, and they, one of them, the one, there's a uh, Caucasian South African woman who is trained by a Native American, and then there is a black African hunter from the Kalahari. Oh. They have quite different ways of how this communication occurs, which does oh. not use language. But one of the descriptions is a relaxation of mind and yeah. a letting go and a formation of images. Mm -hmm. And then the, the, the apprehension that something has just happened to one's own consciousness and right. that is the communication. Can, is there, I don't know anything about this. Do you have any yeah, thoughts? I do. Um, I do. Again, I, I haven't heard this. I, I, that's awesome. First of all, I wrote the title down, so I'm going to track it down. What, what comes to mind around this, um, and again, I, I can't speak with any like scientific authority about this kind of stuff. I don't really know. But it, there are certainly things that are resonant with my understanding of mind that um, there are different types of uh, transmissions of information that in the Buddhist tradition are also, also associated with lineage transmission. So I think you'll get the, the gist of what I'm saying here, Glenn. And, and what I'm thinking of here is what's called thought lineage, which is this kind of mind-to-mind -mind transmission that takes place. And you'll see this now between, I'm going to talk about between um, this ineffable transmission between teacher and student. But I, I also think this could be what's taking place in something like this, that, that there is, in fact, a, a level of communication, information transfer, whatever you want to call it, that can absolutely take place at dimensions of being that um, subsend the, the usual forms of communication. And so within the context of a teacher-student uh, uh, thought lineage transmission, it's literally where, where the quality of the teacher can be transmitted into the, into the mind of the student, and therefore a level of realization can actually be kind of transplanted. And there's some very interesting anecdotal stories about this. Who knows they're, if they're true? They probably are, but even if they're not, you get the idea. One is of a teacher who was a student who was so devoted to his teacher, and he was with his teacher as his teacher was, was drinking some alcohol and some beer, and, and the student got drunk, even though the teacher was the one who was drinking. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, go figure. It, it, it kind of works on my worldview. So, again, I'm just guessing what, what, what's happening here with other sentient forms. But to me, it, it really does make some sense that, that before um, this information is kind of transduced, transformed, and then translated into what we know as language in what we're doing right here, there, there is some impulse, there is some, some thing, whatever that is, that's actually being transmitted. You know, it, it just may not be a thing. 
And so I think it's at that subsendent level, um, pre-intellect, pre pre-thought even, where this type of communication can take place. And, and I, I have seen, I mean, I've been to Africa, I've been to the, the wildlife preserves, I've been to um, elephant sanctuaries, and I've seen and heard some amazing stories about how, like when they, when they first come to release a new elephant that's been, a baby elephant that's been kind of recuperated, you know, somehow the word gets out and all the elephants come in to greet this new elephant, like WTF is going on there. Uh, or when birds, you know, the other day, it's, to me, it's one of the most magical things. You know, I, I walk around and I see these incredible flocks of like hundreds of birds doing these incredible choreographed movements. Where's that level of communication taking place? And so I just love the raw mystery and magic behind the inextricable nature of reality. And, and to me, it begets the notion that fundamentally it's all mind not mind in the way we think of it, but the reality is actually made of mind. And so when you have that paradigm, then everything like this becomes completely possible. So I just love what you're sharing. I, I'm definitely gonna check out these videos. So just riffing, Glenn, that's what comes to mind. Great. Well, yeah. uh, the guy's name is Craig Foster and he's part of a larger group called, uh, uh, and it's not necessarily in this movie, but they discuss the theory that before, before humans settled down in agriculture, but uh -huh. were just roaming, that this was a natural form of communication yeah. among all entities, sentient yeah. beings. It's really interesting. It's an interesting definition to me of sentient being. Yeah, isn't it? I love it. I just love it. I mean, to me, it just speaks of, of, of le levels of communication and inextricability, deep ecology, that to me, just it, it just makes so much intuitive sense. Um, and, uh, you know, yeah, I just celebrate this sort of thing. I think it's lovely. So thanks for sharing it. Appreciate it. Take Bye. care, Rico. Thanks, Glenn. All right, I have a chat question from Sherry. I'm not clear on the red bindu practice in the book. I thought the red bindu was four finger widths below the navel. Is the red lotus meditation the same as the red bindu meditation? No, they're different. So I, I think what I'm hearing here, Sherry, is a conflation. The red bindu, four finger widths below the navel, is actually not a bindu. It's, it's called an ashe. Not to be confused, for those of you who are Shambhala people, with what you all, what we all know is ashe. Somewhat connected, but not different. So the, the four finger widths below the, below the navel thing, it's, not a, it's bindu principle, but it's, it gets technical again. It's not bindu, it's ashe. And it has to do, again, what is similar is you're working with subtle body processes to bring about certain states of mind. That particular chakra, that energy connected with Dantian, connected with Hara, is in the Tibetan tradition what's used to, to work with what's called Tumo, Chandali, the inner heat practices, Kundalini and Hindu Tantra. So it's similar because you're working with, with inner body processes, but it's not Bindu in the same sense um is what we're working with in the in the throat and so if there's more to the question than that sherry i'm happy to entertain it so they're similar because they're working with inner body processes it's a different chakra you actually visualize it differently the ashe is visualized differently than the bindu and it has it's designed um to initiate a a, a somewhat different kind of state of being so um I'll let that go unless there's something else you want me to unpack about it. And feel free to add something more in the chat column and Andy will read it if you want. 
All right. Um, well, next with the audio will be August. August from oh, that's right. August, not September. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Unmute. Mm -hmm. Yes. Hey, August. Hey, hey, Andrew. It's me. I'm back. Um. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> I have a very simple question. Like, I have I have a ton of experience with meditation, but it's probably been Geez, man, I've been on like uh, maybe three or four year hiatus. I think I, uh, I think I got mad at meditation because I, <laughs> I pushed myself too hard as a as a Zen student. Um, so I just got got kind of frustrated with it, and I find it really hard to to do now. So, but you know, you mentioned sky gazing. Uh, I don't know which. Book I was listening to of yours, but you mentioned sky gazing, so I thought, oh, that's awesome. I love sitting outside doing yeah. nothing. Like, is that as good as meditation or? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it is meditation. And, and again, you know, what you share, and thank you for sharing it, August, is it's not at all uncommon. I, would, I had similar types of challenges being a type A overachiever in my three-year retreat, you know, where it's like, oh, I'm going to be the, I'm going to attain enlightenment in three years. I'm, I'm going to be the not, master of the universe. Yeah, I'm not going to miss a session. I'm going to master all these practices. Oh my God, how ridiculous. I was so tight. Um, and so usually when the saddle, of, you put that kind of saddle on your mind, it's going to buck. And usually, oh. you know, you, th you throw it off, which means you drop, you drop it. So that's just an indicator, August, that we were just too tight. So now, you know, you, <clears throat> you come back <clears throat> and you loosen up. And gosh, I mean, sky gazing is a fantastic way to do that. And this is the traditional Dzogchen meditation, somewhat akin to Prem's earlier question about space awareness, because what you do with this practice, and, and I love this one, um, I do it both in the day and when I teach my dream yoga programs, we do nighttime sky gazing um, where you work with this really interesting process tenet that um, you know, you're, you're using outside um, circumstance and elements to invoke in, inner qualities of mind. And so this is somewhat mm. akin to a question that was brought up on, on Tuesday night's book group where someone asked something like when you say, you know, outer space is not the same, nor is it different from inner space of mind, that applies here. And so this is super elegant where, where in fact, what you do, it's, it's, it's beautiful. You just lie down on your back, or I, I have a patio. I look out over this vast expanse. It, the patio is really high. And so I do this practice all the time where I take my glasses off, I, I open my mind, I open my heart, and then, you know, again, mixing your mind with space. You, you allow the, the outer elements to invoke inner qualities. And then it's super interesting because, you know, if, if mind is associative, correlative, somewhat synonymous to the space, then you watch the weather go through, right? A cloud comes through, oh. that's like a thought. A storm comes through, that's like an emotion. Temperature, you know, so the, the, this beautiful, magical mystery of the outer not being the same, nor is it different from the inner, you can absolutely do this. And, and I recommend it. Um, first of all, it's easy. It's fun. Yeah. It's something really profound, um, especially if you do it at night, because when you start to mix your mind with a nighttime sky, 
and you know you have in the back of your mind the the unbelievable dimensions of the space that you're looking at it it, it totally just stops your mind so for it you is mind I mean, blowing it is mind blowing and so for you what a beautiful intuitive kind of re-entry from going too, too, too tight. And I'm not going to say too loose because sky gazing practice is definitely not too loose, but it's definitely on the loose and open end. And for you, your intuition is speaking beautifully for yourself. I would really encourage you to do that. And then maybe, you know, start to inquire, how is the weather any different from the weather of my own mind, right? <laughs> and, and maybe I won't answer that, but use that as your kind of koan. And, um, and then also, I'll just slow this in finally, August, that as a meditation instructor for decades, usually what I find with people when they have problems with meditation, almost always, it's not the meditation that's the problem. It's their definition of meditations that's the problem. Um, mm, yeah, I was it, just reading your, your book, the, what was it, the, a, the, the I, I generation. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I, this is really important because people come to me with all these issues. I've had them. Um, it's extremely rare not to have issues and wow, the vast majority of the time person's meditation is fine. It's their definition that isn't fine. And so then we work to refine that. And I, I probably won't go into that right now, but here's one last thing that I will say that connects to the sky gazing practice is my favorite working definition of meditation. This ties to Prem's question also about space awareness is meditation as habituation to openness. I love that definition, mm. habituation to openness. And with that open uh, relationship, um, in fact, that's what brings about appropriate relationship. When you open, 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 you have a much more relaxed, um, kind of adult way of relating to the contents of your mind. So mm. I, I would just say, I would just say, you know, um, break out the blanket, lie down, look in the, into the sky, do it at night as well. And let the cosmos teach you, man. Beautiful. Sweet. Awesome. Cool. I guess all I got to figure out now is, uh, what aspect of mind the, the gnats in my eyes are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, figure that out and get back to me. Okay, bud. <laughs> all right. Thank you so much, yeah. Andrew. You thank you. Thank you. Andy K too, for moderating. Thanks, August. Good to see you again. Uh, All right. And uh, next with the audio will be Rahim. Hi, Andrew. Hello. Um, so in our Sunday dream sharing group, I shared an experience and somebody said I have an out-of-body experience. Uh, and I'm wondering, is there a distinction between lucid dreaming and out-of-body experiences? Yeah, yeah, there is. Good question. Okay. Um, yeah. Most out-of-body experiences are altered body, embodied experiences. That's not to say that you, you can't have an out-of-body experience. I'm, I'm a little bit agnostic. You know, this is an open question for me because, you know, my, my somewhat scientific background um, gets a little bit taxed by this, but that's fine. Um, in classic dream yoga, these types of things are actually part of more, the more advanced dream yoga practices. The Dalai Lama writes about it. I riff on it a little bit. But most, in my experience, and from what I hear from people, and there's ways to test this, actually. So it's not just, you're not just guessing. 
There are actually ways to test whether what you're having is in fact an OBE or a hyperlucid dream. Most of these experiences are hyperlucid dreams. This is such a sophisticated discussion that with your permission, I'm gonna refer you to a couple sources. Great. Because to really explore this um, is a little bit beyond what I think I can get into here. But I love this topic. I would recommend <clears throat> Um, one of the best renditions of this is uh, Evan Thompson, really quite a brilliant philosopher, wrote this book called Waking, Dreaming, Being, <clears throat> Self-Unconsciousness and Neuroscience Meditation and Philosophy, <clears throat> Evan Thompson. And in one of the chapters, he, he goes with real rigor at this notion of OBEs, and he argues very convincingly and I agree with what he says, that most OBEs are hyperlucid dreams. The other person who's a little bit less kind, but also <laughs> very rigorous is Susan Blackburn. Um, she wrote about this in a book co-edited with Stephen LaBerge and Jane Gockenbach called something like um, Sleeping, Sleeping Brain, Waking Mind or something like that. Um, this one may be out of print, but you should be able to track it down through a Libris she writes, again, really brilliantly on this topic. So um, there are ways to test it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm just not sure how far I can go with it. Uh, I might recommend, just for the purposes of brevity and letting other people ask questions, that you check out those two sources. Um, and again, I'm not saying this stuff doesn't happen. It, it fits in my worldview. Um, I'm just saying we have to be a little bit careful around just saying this is a classic OBE, because when I hear people, and, and I, I've heard a lot of this, and I pull them aside and we go for a walk and we talk about it, it doesn't take me too long to figure out this is not an OBE, this is a hyperlucid dream. Now, here's the deal. It doesn't diminish the validity of the experience, right? right. You, you know, and on one level, it, it almost doesn't really matter. I mean, on one level it does, but on another level, it's just, it's just the, the, the phenomenal display in the experience, that's what's important. Um, but when people come out, you know, from certain institutes and whatnot and say, I'm going to train you to do all this OBE stuff, um, you know, my BS meter starts to go a little bit into the red zone. Um, and so here, now let me just show you this. This is, I love this jingle. This is in the spirit of openness, okay? <clears throat> this, uh, I can't remember where I heard this, but I just thought it was great. You know, it said, uh, <laughs> it said, it's important to have an open mind. But if your mind is too open, your brains will fall out. <laughs> so I say that with tongue in cheek because uh, in my worldview, OBEs have a place. They really do. But um, again, I think most of these are not out of body, they're altered body experiences. Um, so something like that, my friend. That's great. Thank you. Yeah, most welcome. Did we lose Andy? Hello. Every once in a while he cuts out. Let me see if uh, I can open up a chat and see if there's any questions in the chat column. Sometimes he, he just disappears on me. Hello. Andy, where did you go? Yeah, so Meyer has a hand up. I don't know because I don't know how to choose you. So maybe since Andy seems to have disappeared into an out of body experience, <laughs> enter, uh, write your question in the chat room and because I, I can read it there. 
since he's abandoned me. This happened once before. So if you have a question for me, um, type it up in the chat room. Because I don't know how to choose it. If you click on participants, you can unmute participants. Okay, let's see if that works. Oh, here we go. All right, let's see if it works. We did. Hey, I did it. <laughs> Hi. We don't need Andy. Okay. Okay. No, we do. <laughs> yeah, no, just, just kidding. Um, just a nerdy kind of question. In terms of um, dream yoga, because I'm coming from, I, I go from um, just going only into the dream and the experience and meditation. I wanted to um, establish where does the, um, what school of the emptiness you're coming from? Because it seems that you play with mind only and go to the highest Mahayana, uh, Majamika, school of empty of what and and we go back and forth with so much fluidity that sometimes yeah. i get a little confused because all the eight right um yeah the consciousness it does not matter in terms of the finality but i was wondering if you do it on purpose or if it really doesn't matter where does dream yoga come in terms of the schools i know it's one of the six yogas of naropa and that dream yoga is basically a study of emptiness or emptiness but Right. Um, mm -hmm. Well, that's a really good point, Myra. Um, thank you. So you can use dream yoga does not come that I'm aware of from one particular school of emptiness. Um, and and as, as, as you rightly pointed out, there are multiple schools of emptiness. I somewhat randomly pop between these schools, as you point out, um, simply because for carte blanche purposes, we can get away with it. But when we start asking very specific questions, then we can start to suss these things out. So for instance, let me just do it briefly. So when we're talking about things like mind only, we're talking more, um, and again, even that term has to be somewhat sussed out. That, that's more from the kind of the, the classical chitta-matra approach, mm -hmm. which is, is a relatively early stage <clears throat> uh, subset of yogacara. The, the, the vast majority, when I'm talking about emptiness, I'm talking mostly from the lens of what's called Prasangika Majamaka okay. um, and also Shantong Majamaka. And, and separating those two out is a little bit beyond the scope of what we can do here. I can recommend some material for you to explore that. Most of what I do is from the Prasangika Majamaka point of view, which is the empty okay. of other, um, empty of self-nature school. Um, that's when most people think of Majamaka, that's really the heart of it. Um, and there are subsets of that, as you know, Svatantrika. I mean, it just, it's amazing the nuances and, and the parsing right. that people do. And these, these subtleties actually for scholars and practitioners, again, like when we were talking about with Prem's question, actually become important because this is what actually refines your intellect, refines your mind, and therefore refines your relationship to the world. And so just for the purposes of time, when I'm talking about emptiness, I'm talking mostly from the Prasanga Gamajamaka, empty of self school. Um, dream yoga can be applied um, to any one of these. And really the book that comes immediately to mind, if you don't have a Myra, you have to get it. You know, progressive stages of meditation, right? Oh yeah, I had it like five times and I still have to read it a few more. Yeah, <laughs> you have to read this thing at least 10 times. 
<laughs> I've read it. I've read it at least ten times, because Kempo Rinpoche, you know, with each one of his five stages, what does he do? He gives a dream example, and so I I highly recommend that book. It's just a masterpiece that that explores this in the most nuanced possible way, using dream yoga in in the schema. He doesn't talk about it as dream yoga, but it is dream yoga. Um, so. Yeah, yeah, the question came, Andrew, and, and I, I think I got, and that's what I wanted to narrow it down because it seems like when we keep talking about it because we're talking and using concept, I find myself trying to kind of narrow it. Like there's always something there, even if it's subtle. Um, and I found myself like playing into it instead of completely following like the book. The book was what brought the question. It's like when we are talking about it, it seems like we're still wanting to find the formula. That's right. And <laughs> right. That's right. And that's why, that's why you need, you know, really, if you want to take a deep dive on this, you know, just go to the source. Read Nagarjuna. You know, yeah. the Mula, Mula Majamaka Karikas, you know, mm -hmm. read that book. My teacher, Kempo Rinpoche, who wrote The Progressive Stages, he actually requ required of us to read that text at least 10 times. It's, it's the kind of uh, Majamaka Bible, if there is one. And then, you know, as you know, it, it will give you nothing to hang your head on, right? right. <laughs> and that's not, that's not an easy thing. You know, I mean, it's a, it's a real assault. I mean, Nagarjuna doesn't assert anything his his whole thing is classically what non-affirming negation so you're cutting 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 and you're asserting nothing in its place and for, for a lot of people that's pretty unsettling um, but again that nothingness is not nihilistic it's no thingness so i'll, I'll let you. it go from there and you yep. know that's part, it's part of what we're going to be discussing in the book group right so yep. thanks first couple chapters go go into this so thank you Darren. thank you bye-bye so andy did you come back yeah, sorry, my Wi-Fi cut out. Oh, okay. We thought you had an OBE. <laughs> I was testing you to see how you did. It looks like you did great, though. Nice job. Yeah, Myra saved me. She told me what to do. Oh, perfect. All right. Well, I have a chat question for you from Ariella. Any suggestions of how to practice sleep yoga, wake up at middle of night, writing your dreams at night, etc., and still maintaining your nighttime, bedtime relationship with your spouse? I seem to be able to do only one or the other. Oh my gosh, it cracks me up because I can so relate. Dump your spouse. <laughs> Just kidding. You did not hear that from this tongue in cheek disclaimer, full joke. <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't know how to answer that. It, 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 this is where you have to just, you know, see what works for you. It does help to have a discussion with your partner um, in terms of what you're doing and why, um, because for sure, you know, some of these practices for someone who doesn't engage in them are a little bit odd at best. And so sharing with them um, why it's important to you, why you want to do it, and then maybe, you know, coming into some middle way, you know, if it, does this work for you? And then, you know, I really, I'm, the Dear Abby end of this, I'm not, that's not my place to tell you what to do. I think it's more you opening your heart to your partner and also opening your heart to yourself, becoming translucent, transparent to yourself and, and paying homage to what you really need to do. And so somewhere in there, we have to each find our ways. Um, yeah, I'm not sure what else to say about that. Just mostly honesty, um, openness and kindness will really go a long way. But I totally understand that challenge 
the other questions, you know, how to practice, well, I guess there was, they were subsumed within that, how to practice sleep yoga and all that other stuff. If there's more specifics around that, you know, say more. But if the question is really one, how to work with a, with a partner in this, especially if they're not into this kind of thing, that, that can be a challenge. Um, but we have to really use our, our best intuitions, our sensitivities, our love, and at the same time, paying you know homage to ourselves and what's really important for us. And so, within those guidelines, you know, um, I think we'll find our ways. And maybe I'll leave it at that because I don't want to get into a kind of a um, you know marriage counseling capacity. I have to share you a story with you that <laughs> I did exactly the sort of thing. This is true, totally true story. It's one of the most embarrassing moments of my life. <laughs> I had this incredibly unique opportunity about 15 years ago, maybe 20 years ago, to meet with His Holiness Pender Rinpoche, who was the head of the Nyingma tradition. I mean, this is like the Dalai Lama. I mean, huge teacher. And so I, I had this unbelievable opportunity to have an interview with him. And I look back on it now with some horror because um, I ended up asking him just these absolutely ridiculous, and I'm not saying your question's ridiculous at all. My questions were ridiculous about, you know, I, I'm having this issue with my partner, kind of what should I do? And I had to share, the, the one thing that really stood out for me was His Holiness and then this very high tempo was translating for him. They were both, it was, I, that's what stands out for me. They were both looking at me with such kindness, really trying to help me. While, you know, from my perspective, when I left, I, I completely projected this on them later. It was like, oh my God, can you believe these Westerners? I mean, you know, I'm not a marriage counselor. What do they expect from me? I mean, I didn't get any of that from him. He sat there, actually, I sat on the floor. He was sitting above. And he was trying so hard to just understand my, <laughs> my ridiculous, puny relationship issues. And, and so I look back on that as like, I mean, you know, here, here's, here it is, it's like being, it's like having Elvis and the Yeti in front of you and you don't have a camera to take a picture, right? So you totally blow it, right? So here I am before this great meditation master and I'm asking these just ridiculous questions. Not saying your questions are ridiculous, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying I, I don't really act <laughs> as a marriage therapeutic counselor because that's just above my pay grade. So something like that, okay? Thanks, Andrew. Well, we don't have any more questions queued up at the moment. Oh, perfect. It gives me a chance. So, well, great. See, I told you everybody I had to leave it at the hour mark and I scared everybody away. So, hey, I'm back online with the link that Andy put up in, in two hours with Bob Thurman. Uh, freebie. He's awesome. Come join us for that. Um, otherwise, I'll be back next Thursday for the full hour and a half thing and a little bit longer riff. So, uh, thanks everybody for coming by. Um, thanks for your great questions, participation, and uh, if I don't see you in a couple hours, I'll see you next week. Ciao.